0: Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Gawk, I'm Becca, and I'm Ruthie. And today we are continuing our three-part series on the topic of failure. The second one is specifically going to be covering what entrepreneurship failure looks like, or more necessarily what it looks like to fail within doing entrepreneurship and how to get back up and keep going. Um, so now, in the past, I've been doing some studying on this, this theory of research by Paul Hersey called situational leadership. And he's done a ton of things to try to see like the different stages of like skill and confidence level of people when they come into new different situations and what does it look like to lead through that. And I love this theory because it's so interesting to see different um, graph points of confidence versus skill and how these things interact with one another all of that so we're going to talk about it we're gonna get really nerdy but we're going to talk about how entrepreneurship is different in this way and how like we need to see what happens in entrepreneurship in these phases that he discusses. So Ruthie, do you want to give us like a little description of what this the, I would call it like the confidence interval maybe or like the situational leadership graph what does it look like? Um, so it kind of it looks like a upside down bell curve. So like it goes up and then it goes like down in the loop and then it goes back up again. And that's kind of what the graph looks like. Um, but as far as breaking down each phase of that graph, so there's three different stages. Uh, and the first stage is basically when someone, so say, let's put this in the framework of, of entrepreneurship. So say you're working on something like when we interviewed Thea Dudley, she basically talked about how she was doing something really well for a long time and then decided to launch into her own business okay, and do it on her own. So basically, if you think about that um, it's entrepreneurship, so say you're doing tech development for a different company and then you decide to do tech development on your own. So you've been doing it really, really well for this company, and then you're like, okay, here we go. I'm going to start my own business, and you get thrown into this whole new framework of basically lack of structure um, in in your own in your own new business. Um, so stage one uh, is is basically when you're on that high that you're like, okay, yeah, I can do this and, and it's so exciting and it's new. And then things kind of start to decline from there for a bit. So Becca's going to talk with us about that. Yeah. And so just so you guys are aware, when we're talking about our X and Y axis, our, our Y axis in looking at what this upside down bell curve is, is confidence. You start with super high confidence, right? But then our Our x-axis is skill. You might have low skill when you first start entrepreneurship, but you have really high confidence because otherwise you wouldn't be starting a business, right? So that's where we start. High confidence, low skill. That's stage one. Paul Hersey calls this stage the honeymoon phase. Um, and, And that whole aspect of everything is perfect, everything is rosy, we're gonna figure it out. Phase two, which is the uh, trough of despair, it's called. And that's where your confidence just tanks. It just goes down. That's like we're now scraping the bottom of the upside down bell curve. And that's where you're improving your skill, but you just have no confidence, right? And a lot of entrepreneurs go through this very commonly because they start out really strong they're really excited and then people start rejecting them or saying no your product really isn't what i need thanks so much but no and you know people just start saying no and you just all of a sudden feel like maybe i was wrong i messed up completely or maybe it's that another product enters the market that's similar to yours or a service and you're like, well, I'm not unique enough or how can I differentiate myself? I This is just a failure because they're doing so much better than I am. Or maybe they are not, you just think they are. There's this whole like, I don't know if I can keep going. And a lot of people hit The trough of despair, also because of cash flow. So, this is actually more common than you would think, especially when we know. uh, Ruthie, what statistic did you say before? It was like people under 30 are more likely to fail in business when they start their own business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People under 30? Business owners under the age of 30 are more likely to fail. Yeah. This is scary, right? But, but think about that. Like, part of it, if you're, if you think like, okay, this is gonna be, I'm gonna get so much money so fast. If you're not budgeting for that, I can totally see where if you bottom out right here and you don't have any more money to invest. Like, maybe you thought, oh, I can put aside six months of savings to get myself through and then start my business. And all of a sudden, you realize, whoa, I need to pay rent, and this is not paying for itself. I can see why a lot of people are done right there. And I was 29, just actually 29% of of small businesses fail because they run out of cash. So that's that's, that's a, a good thing to keep in mind. <laughs> almost yeah, almost like a third. Just a little yeah. under a third run out of cash. And I was just talking to my sister-in-law like last weekend and she was saying that well, you know, most people don't plan in the restaurant business for Three years of negative cash flow before they actually start turning a profit. And I was like, that's a long time to not make money. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have what it takes to last financially for three years, right? Mm-hmm. So, knowing the industry, like we talked about in the last episode, get some data, understand what a sample size is, is it biased, take a poll, see if your services are needed. All of that's important so that you have good confidence going into stage one. And Then in stage two, you need to work through the trough of despair because if you don't, that's when you fail as a business. A lot of times, this is the point when people hit the bottom, they're done. Like They give up. They're like, you know what? I tried this. Business apparently isn't for me. I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Now, the next phase, is like if you get past that, if you're like, well, you know, I have enough cash flow to keep me going, I'm just going to keep trying it and see if I can get through this, or maybe it's the confidence thing, whatever. The third phase is the confidence climb. And this is where you are still moving forward on the x axis towards high skill. You're not there yet, but you're getting there. In, in entrepreneurship, maybe you're really good at what you do in your own job that you previously did, but you still need more support in terms of maybe it's, I need to be better at bookkeeping or all this other stuff, whatever it is. You're getting your skill, moving up, moving up, moving up. And so it's climbing in confidence. Now this phase can also be known. Um, there's this aspect of this phase that can be where you start experiencing imposter syndrome. Ruthie had a, a definition for this. Courtesy of Wikipedia, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which one doubts one's accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. So this is basically as you get better and better at something, you're constantly having this underlying feeling of I don't deserve the success I'm having. So as you start to climb towards success in in business, and a lot of times what that success looks like, is that you just get better. Um, right. Like money is not the only gauge of success when it comes to business. Um, but as you get more skilled and get more clients or whatever else, there's this constant sense of, yeah, I don't deserve this. This is this, I, I got this all because of luck. This is not, um, it's not because of my own merit. Uh, but you actually, that's something you have to combat all the time is because you've worked your butt off to get there. You know, like you you do deserve all the things that you've been working towards because um, you put in the hours and you've done the really good marketing and you've done all of that research and stuff. And that's um, definitely something to be aware of in this stage three. Yeah, or even... When, when I think about, I think, I think this stage actually can be different for every single person of experiencing imposter syndrome. And the reason for that is because some people are like, wow, I'm making so much money. Like, okay, I must be doing something right, but I don't feel like I deserve it. But then there's other people that are like, these people are paying me too much money. I don't think I'm worth that. Or I don't know if my skills are actually going to work. Yeah. Because yeah. if I, if I consult on something and I say, this is what you need to do, and I'm in stage three of the confidence climb, I'm like, oh wait, am I 100% confident that that's exactly what they need to do? Am I an imposter? Is this gonna work? Like and, and I definitely know when I first started my business, I went through that like I know what I'm talking about, but do I? is there someone out there that's better than me that I should be referring this person to? Or should they be really working with me? Am I confident that this is gonna be successful? And that's a scary thing to think about because that's why I love data, right? Because then you can prove, yeah, I knew what I was talking about because I can track it with accountability. Um, But within that, it's really important to think about, okay, you're gonna go through this stage of confidence climb. Now, every time, your business pivots, you're probably going to go through this entire thing all over again. But now we're going to talk about the last stage, which is phase four. It's called mastery. And When we talked about the bell curve, right? confidence high, and then it goes low, and then it goes high again, this is the very other side of the bell curve. But this one, in this model, the bell curve isn't completely a mirror image of itself on both sides this actually has higher confidence than when you start it so it's a little bit more of even a higher bump into when you get into mastery and this is something that some people statistically never reach right and and we talked about that that within the first year you've got a, a little over 20% of people Drop off from even on keeping in entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. And the five year mark of entrepreneurship is less people that were there, even that made it to the first year. And then the 10 year is like in- incredibly rare, right? And, and sometimes it's because they get at the 10 year mark, you might not even last that long because you sold your company and you didn't want to be that long, right? But think about this being at the top, stage four, where you're really like, yes. I know what I'm doing. When you're in that stage, like we were talking about, that pivot, you can know what you are doing only as long as the industry and the environment around you never changes. Mm-hmm. So now in in managing people, like so say. I was to hire someone and, and promote them to a job. There's like all this information out there about how you could coach someone through these stages. The first stage, you're like, great, you're in this new position, learn all this new stuff, blah, 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 blah. Let's do the onboarding process. And then stage two, when they're like, man, I'm just failing, I don't really feel right about this. You could manage that person in a different way through giving small tasks. And I actually like read this really cool article about... Specifically, managing people through um, becoming managers, like managing a manager to keep them on your team. Because this is actually statistically a common way that people who are like in the tech industry, when they get promoted, after they get promoted, when they hit this trough of despair in stage two, they quit. They just like forget ever doing management because they don't think they're good at it and then they leave completely. So, um, I think let me just reference the article so you guys can check it out too. It's how to manage the best managers or sorry, how the best managers keep star talent. Ooh, messed that up the first time by Matt Craner. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really good, actually. It's a really good article, but he talks about like specifically how to how to manage someone through those hiring phases of like if you're failing or this person is really struggling, you're supposed to give them super teeny tasks to do so that they feel successful in something. As they to help them get out of the trough of despair, but like as an entrepreneur, you don't have a manager that you can go talk to every time you feel like you're down in the dumps, right? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of the other data that we have researched and seen statistically, is the people who do run successful businesses, it's because they sought out mentors. Yeah. They had somebody, even though they're not having a manager in like a corporate job, that's like, let me help you through this and walk you through what you need to do next to be successful. They went and found those people mm-hmm. and talked with them, whether they're friends. Some people, I talk to my mom sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> She's really great, and sometimes she's not so great at helping. (laughs) But, like, think about it who are those people that you bounce ideas off of, get re energized, and get back up and going? Because that's really what's going to help you in entrepreneurship get out of this phase. And um, recently, I talked with a man, this was probably like a couple months ago now, but I talked with this lady who just completely pivoted her business. She was like, yeah, we were running for a good five years or something. And then things, the economy changed, things were happening. Our business was not needed or necessary in terms of what was going on in society. And we had to rethink our entire business and relaunch and rebrand into something new within the business to stay viable within the market. And to me, that's like, whoa. First of all, you need a lot of people around you to help you through that. But, but second of all, you're going through like every single one of these stages again and my theory is that you don't actually like just hit one trough of despair in business. You don't. You hit like 80 troughs of despair <laughs> and it's usually like 80 troughs every year, right? I don't know. Ruthie, can you attest to this at all in what you've been doing with your business? Yeah, it's definitely so instead of just like that one upside down bell curve, it's kind of like just a giant squiggle, like just up and down and up and down and it's it's that constant like you're having to be your own manager, you're having to manage your own time, you're having to set your own deadlines. Um and one thing that's interesting too like I was thinking about in in a corporate setting when you're working for someone else, more often than not you have like one task and you get really good at that one task and you master that. Whereas with an entrepreneur, you have to be good at so many different things. And so it's constantly, you're just a jack of all spades and you're learning this and you have to learn a new, a new skill. So then there's that, you know, the the one, two, three, four again, and then you're just having to relearn and relearn and relearn. But it's, it's a constant climb towards more confidence and higher skill as you keep going. And I think as you get. Through, um, and it also just depends on what's happening happening in your life too. It's not just strictly just business. Like entrepreneurship is just such a personal thing because you're doing that. It's it's that's your baby. You're doing that, and so many different things in your life can can um, really influence that. So it's it's also playing in those personal home factors um, that that trough of despair might last a little bit longer. Maybe you've had a death in your family. Maybe you've had really hard financial instability or something like that. Where that trough ends, it, it lasts a little bit longer than, um, than maybe it did last time or something like that. But you, as you kind of navigate that you kind of get to see these themes a little bit more okay what helped me last time who did i go to last time that was able to help me through this specific kind of crisis or whatever and then you start to kind of build that that mental map in like okay i'm i know that this is kind of where i'm starting from and i know it's going to get a little bit harder but i know how to bounce back from that so that's and that's for me like coming back to statistics again I, Um, sales is hard for me. It's hard for me to sell myself. I have, I love to sell, uh, things for other people, like of just fundraising. We've talked about that before. I love that. But when it comes to, um, you should work with me because this is what I do and it proves valuable. And that's something that I'm constantly learning and relearning and having to regain confidence in that of like, okay. Yeah. And that imposter syndrome syndrome again, like I know what I'm doing. I'm competent in this and I'm good at it. And I love once i'm doing it i love it so coming back to that again and again and again um and then just moving forward from there but just that constant sense of okay what can i be doing right now to get myself out of this stage and what can i do to propel not only myself but my business forward Uh, and that's something that's a little bit unique to entrepreneurs i think yeah oh my goodness i'm just gonna like i have i took a picture of this and i'm so grateful that i like write on random pieces of mail sometimes because then I have like the timestamps of like the actual time frame of which I was going to six. <laughs> I just write on I don't use post-its, I'm cheap. No. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so I have like this picture, like a screenshot in my phone. Um, and then I also like kept it in a presentation that I did one time. Uh, from January 7th, 2019. So, this is quite a while ago. And literally, the list of things I have to do, like, I just literally worked into my day, my despair. Like, I am such a checklist person. So, I need to, like, do a checklist and feel like, yep, did that. Now I need to move on. And I know this about myself that I have this, like, trough of despair. So, literally, in my checklist, it's like, flip laundry grovel in despair before god plan to check google search Console. check craigslist make a latte (laughs) grovel in despair again post a blog (laughs) and i'm just like i love that like this is something that is that tangible in my life that i'm like you know oh here i am again groveling in despair it's okay like let's just check it off the list and move on (laughs) you guys (laughs) Tears are something that I think are pretty common for me in in understanding that I am in a place, a new place of pivoting my business, understanding it, and then moving forward. But know that this isn't just us being like, we're just talking about this to make you feel good. Because quite honestly, I hate podcasts that do that. (laughs) This is like scientific. Data researched information, which is why we pulled information uh, about situational leadership from Paul Hersey. This is stuff that's happening in entrepreneurship, and and we don't want you to take our word for it because we gave these like cute personal stories where we laughed about things and blah 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 blah. Which sometimes it does touch people's hearts like that. But I'm a data person, and I need to know like this isn't just a one time experience. No, this happens to everybody. But know that what you need to do is be self aware. About what you can do to get through it. So, really quickly, we're gonna tell you a quick story. Um, and Ruthie and I have not planned this in advance. So, here we go. <laughs> Usually, we're like, what are we gonna talk about? That's silly. Okay, so um, I don't know if you guys have heard this story before, but we're gonna tell it to you. One time, uh, somebody in our family. I did something to them. I don't remember exactly what made them mad, but my brother Aaron decided to cover my entire bed in mustard. (laughs) Like completely in mustard. I mean like not like he uses a a knife to throw it out, like spread it out, but he just like sprayed the whole thing, squirted it in like lovely little waves, like a trough of despair actually. (laughs) we can make a comparison (laughs) back and forth across my bed and I was so upset about it. I I specifically remember being really upset but at the same time realizing it was all on one blanket like not through all of my sheets just like the top so I like quietly took it off and went and found him came up behind him and then just wrapped it around his body. (laughs) <laughs> so he was just like encased in his mustard. <laughs> and Ruthie, were you there for that? Fun fact: mustard does not come out of clothing or blankets for that matter. It just it stains very well, and it it, it yeah. That I would not recommend that. <laughs> Future roommate tips, right? <laughs> yeah, don't. Oh. <laughs> And That was kind of a thing though. Like we, whenever we like wanted to get back at each other, we would usually target each other's beds because it was like, I, I don't know, put ice cubes in each other's beds, and then it would melt, and then it would just be all over their stuff or something like that. Like, just, then so then we coined it, the phrase, said. yeah. And then, but we coined the phrase like when you were chasing after someone, they'd jump on their bed and then be like, "My bed, my property. (laughs) Just like you can't can't touch me." (laughs) So it's just like, "Well, I can touch you when you're not on your bed." Here's some mustard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us uh, this week. We hope you join us in for part three of our series on failure. And if you enjoy our podcast, our Intern Darby tells us that we have to put in a call to action at the end, so go tell your friends because that is statistically, again, how podcasts grow their listenership is through referrals. Mm-hmm.